What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Okay, we got some stuff to talk about today. Today is all one subject. Um, first, I'm going to give you the history, and then I'm going to give you the solution. And uh, obviously, this is in response to the last night, as of this recording, Nikola Jokic was... Uh, ejected from the game against the Bulls on Serbian Heritage Night um, in the first half because he said something along the lines of uh, call the foul motherfucker or something like that. It was, it was something involving the word fuck. And um, one of the things that has been really interesting following this is that I think people have the wrong perception. I, I think people, in specifically Nuggets fans, think that the NBA refs have something personal against Nikola Jokic. This is not true. I don't believe, other than Tony Brothers, I don't believe anyone really has anything personal against um, Nikola Jokic. I do think they are uh, ignorant or borderline incompetent. And it is it is a lot harder to make the incompetence uh um, kind of argument than it is to just say, well, no, he just obviously doesn't like Jokic. And that is, I don't think that is true at all. Um, I think, uh, obviously, unless we're talking about Tony Brothers, who seems to have some issue with Nikola Jokic, which is something that is another subject altogether. But we're talking about a uh, Nikola Jokic being thrown out of a game for making that kind of uh, remark but it go it points to something else and it points to something that is fundamental to NBA referees and it, it's something that has been brewing for 23 years um, people need to know this history here and I've gone over this before but I, I don't mind talking about how the NBA history and the NBA trajectory changed in 2001 Um in 99-2000 and 2000-2001, um, Shaquille O'Neal was the single most dominant player in the sport. And and you could say even before that, you, um, n- n- that Shaquille O'Neal was was still dominant, but it was very particular in when uh, Phil Jackson became the coach of the, uh, and we'll get to Phil Jackson in the second half, when he became coach of the Lakers after Shaquille O'Neal had gone to uh, the the Lakers in 1996. So let's say what was it 99 that Phil Jackson got there? He unlocked dominant, super dominant Shaq. And the 99, 2000, and 2001, 2000, 2001 seasons of Shaquille O'Neal. One, he won the MVP in 2000, and in 2001, um, uh, Allen Iverson won it. You could probably make a very good argument that Shaquille O'Neal probably should have won it in 2001. And um, one of the things that was really eminently clear in that two, those two seasons is that you could have called a, a foul on Shaquille O'Neal or called someone fouling Shaquille O'Neal on every single play. And it was, and it was kind of uh, someone who is so such such brute strength that it was really hard for NBA refs at that time to ref him, even though post play in the '90s was at its peak. Shaquille O'Neal was a lot different. Shaquille O'Neal did things by just being stronger than the people who were guarding him. So it was hard to for NBA refs at the time to properly 
get down and referee him because there was no one in the league. And in fact, I don't, I don't think there has been many people in the league who have ever been like Shaquille O'Neal. He is truly a one-off. I don't think we have seen the, the combination of size, strength, and athleticism um, from the center position like we did Shaquille O'Neal. It's fundamentally uh, different than you, we've ever seen in its history. And uh, what the NBA did was they altered rules, and it wasn't to uh, so the refs can have a better context with how to referee Shaq. What the NBA said was that they couldn't. It was fundamentally they could not referee him. They were admitting it. And also Jerry Colangelo, who was the uh, owner of the Phoenix Suns at the time, had a team that was very guard-heavy, and this is pre-seven seconds or less, um, son. So we we got to get that out of our heads. This is the uh, this is the Jason Kidd sons, and um, one of the one of the solutions that he pushed through was to get to replace illegal defense. Now, illegal defense was simply a rule to prevent zone. Okay, their zone defense was not allowed in the NBA until two thousand one. So you couldn't help off of someone for a long time. You couldn't occupy a zone. You had to be on a man. It was basically strictly a man-to-man league. You could double, but the double had to come at a certain time. It was it was a different it was a different thing. And and in zone defense was allowed in the college ranks for a long time. But one of the the problems that the NBA had was adapting to having these college kids come in, not play zone anymore, just play play man to man, and then not have them try to occupy zone. So illegal defense care, um, penalties would happen when a guy wouldn't be approximate to a guy. It would be sort of like three seconds, but it wasn't strict three seconds defensive three, three seconds. So what the NBA did to alter Shaq's dominance, and this was done specifically to counter Shaq. I've, I think this is what maybe the only time in NBA history it's done this is that uh, they altered the illegal defense penalty they eliminated that and they replaced it with defensive three seconds and offensive three seconds and essentially this was done to clear the lane fundamentally this and 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 I, I made it I did a podcast about three four years ago about talking about how James Harden and what he did especially at that time peak James Harden couldn't exist without these defensive alterations you just couldn't do what he did because coming with that four years later was the hand check enforcement, uh, strict hand check enforcement, which again further altered the league. But this is points to something that has been baked into the league that that is something that we never really consciously are aware of is how the NBA altering rules has consequences. And for the longest time, one of the things that, that, that happened is that it didn't fully bake in that Shaq was going to be countered because even in 2002, he was still fantastic in the playoffs. And even in uh, through 2004, I mean, you could argue if it wasn't for Kobe Bryant chucking up every shot that he could get in the uh, in the uh, series against the uh, Pistons, the, the, the Lakers who were had Carl Malone and uh, Gary Payton at that time, that pseudo-super team, would have probably won the title if if that wasn't the case. Kobe Bryant seriously 
altered the history as far as that goes. Um, and, and Kobe stands, please don't uh, come at me. But um, there is also this kind of evolution, and it was further cemented in 2005 when they changed the rules. The rules went from uh, uh, the hand check, the, the, and hand checking was always has always has been a rule. And in fact, in 1994, they started trying to enforce it uh, more strictly, and they just went away from it. This happens frequently through NBA history. There was a "don't throw your headband" rule that they don't do this anymore. Uh, there was there was "don't gesture towards a referee." They they gave that up after couple weeks i mean there's just things that the nba just does and tries that they don't exactly uh adhere to but but they really really went to because the nba was struggling in in overall popularity and they wanted to do something to juice the offense and this is after the hand check thing comes after the seven seconds or less uh sons so this was done to further help out that paradigm and how how the NBA made a conscious decision to move away from centers. So it is from about 2006 to 2014 where the about an 8 year period where the NBA really uh, became a small guard league. It became a, a league of spacing and penetration. It became a league of threes and layups. It became more about little guards drawing fouls. Um, and the when I've always said this about the when the NBA took away the hand check is that they gave the entire benefit of the doubt, particularly on the perimeter, to offensive players. So in the in the in the zeal to ref Shaq to eliminate his dominance, and this is really what it was. The, the NBA decided they couldn't ref him, so they had to do something else, which was to minimize his dominant effect on the, on the league. So they decided to create spacing. And this opened up the modern era of pace and space. And, and it's not even pace anymore. The teams aren't fast, fast, like the Nuggets used to be in the 80s. This is, this is a different sort of a set of circumstances. And it was compounded further by the lack of uh, enforcement or by the increased enforcement of hand check uh, penalties. So now you can't touch a guy in a perimeter. All the contact goes to the offensive guy. This plays into how they ref big men. Big man since uh, about, you know, you know, say like 2009, 10-ish to, na- to now are in a quandary because all, I, at every time a, you, if you run into a big man, the, God, the benefit goes to the little guy. So it is a, um, Adam Mares has talked about this because it's like you can beat the crap out of a, uh, a, uh, a center, but you you can't touch a guard. And this is this is a deliberate thing, by the way. This is the what the NBA wanted. They wanted freedom of movement. This is this is one hundred percent their creation. And um for a long time it really eliminated centers like Al Jefferson, you know. Uh even Andrew Bynum, who was good for the Lakers for a time in this era, uh was kind of rendered uh um not effective. Um, your prototypical center became guys like DeAndre Jordan and Clint Capella and guys who were just rim runners, essentially. 
they became what I always used to call them back then as garbage collectors. The guys who used to catch the runoff from everything else that the guards were doing and, and sometimes the wings. But it was very specifically the guards. The NBA wanted guard penetration. They wanted the space to do to operate. The spacing in itself is what gave what lent to the benefit of the doubt leaning so heavily into guards. And um, w since that paradigm shifted, the NBA struggled with the concept of a big man coming in, being able to do things that both guards can do and centers can do. And this is something that is very key to the NBA ref's inability to properly referee Nikola Jokic. And I'm going to get to that in the second half, but this is the scenario that Nikola Jokic operates under. The everything that you see in the NBA is created so guards can uh, have freedom of movement, which in, in you know kind of gives them the benefit of the doubt. And on the flip side, if you have a guy who posts up a lot like Jokic, you can pound the crap out of them, and they don't get the call. The assumption goes to the guards. The assumption goes to the players who are smaller. This is why it's so hard to post up on mismatches because you can't back a guy down because the guy's going to flop. And in that flopping, he draws contact and all that stuff. And, and also, it, the NBA goes to the accentuation now. Because there's so much space, man, and I've always called it manufactured space in the NBA, it is hard fundamentally for big men to get their, you know, a guy will be fouling a big man and nothing will happen because it's two centers. It's, it is a mental thing. And it's also been a trained thing. The NBA tried to legislate out the center. I need to reiterate this to you who are listening to this. The NBA fundamentally tried to eliminate the center position in the league. It went and essentially it was almost successful um, during the the, heat, the peak heat period. Now people will point to other other scenarios because look, um, um, Andrew Andrew Bynum was um, I'm with the uh, Golden State Warriors, and this is key. Andrew Bynum would was primarily a guy who would set picks. He would uh, basically his his primary job was to set moving picks and bone crush essentially is what he did, but he really wasn't your typical center. The peak Warriors was with a Andrew Bogut, the, the, and it wasn't with Draymond, and he provided something that they needed, but Draymond was really the crux of that team. He, he I wouldn't call him a proto-Jokic because he was primarily a defensive player, but he, he, he could pass, and he could give you five points, five, six points a game. So it became a pursuit of of trying to find a guy to occupy the middle who can both rim protect and collect garbage. So like I said, this is the, the, the rise of the Clint Capellas and uh, guys like that. Marcus Camby uh, would have been great in this, but, you, it, but people forget about Marcus Camby. He had a terrible jump shot that he insisted on taking all the time. So uh, anyway, that's, that's just my Mar Marcus Camby uh, rant. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk about Nikola Jokic, what he has done to the league, and how Michael Malone very specifically can help. 
But first, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Uh, they're always online at bfwcolorado.com. Uh, they are celebrating this week their fifth anniversary. It's hard to believe it's been that long. Uh, I have been reading about them just for fun. For the last four years, uh, I went in there in 2019 and I said, like, I really like this business. I liked how they were run. I liked how decent they were. I liked their location. It was like the whole vibe was great. Uh, so I just one day just decided to, to start reading about them and never been paid for it. Just did it. Um, and it has been a, a real joy to go down there occasionally and um, experience the vibe of the dairy block, which is fantastic. And that's one of the biggest sells about that particular location. Location. But they got great wine. Uh, got great reds. They got great whites. They got Rieslings. They got uh, rosés. They got basically everything you need. Plus partnerships with Western Western Slope wineries. Um, so then they will create some Blanchard wines from Western Slope uh, grapes. But they got their own grapes from Sonoma County, California. Um, they have their original location in Sonoma County. There's one in Fort Collins and a private tasting room in Golden. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazi in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CHG Podcast sent you. Nikola Jokic has upset the, the paradigm I'm using that word again, but it's it's really the truth. It has upset the paradigm of what a center is in the NBA. Um, and often he has drawn comparison to Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is completely different. Joel Embiid is more like David Robinson and Patrick Ewing than he is like uh, Nikola Jokic. Um, both Ewing and, uh, uh, to a greater extent, David Robinson were face-the-basket bigs. Um and a little bit of uh, Hakeem Olajuwon. But Olajuwon, his, his entire post game was based on one move, which was the dream shake. Um, but he, there were centers in the NBA that were actually more traditional. And Embiid is more traditional in that sense than Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic is much more in the a combination of, of several different things, like Magic Johnson and a Shaquille O'Neal. Okay, so imagine that combination entering the league. Um what Embiid does to compensate for the fouls fouling is that he doesn't go into the post that much. He is a face the basket big. So all of his foul drawing is face up. Meanwhile, Nikola Jokic, his comes with his back, generally. Um, they Jokic does a lot of things that you would associate with a traditional big from the 90s, but he does it in a uh, point guard way. And what that has done is completely throw off NBA refs. They, this is, one, Jokic is truly a one-off player. You've never seen, uh, even Arvidas Sabonis. Arvidas Sabonis, uh, by the time he got to the NBA, was a shell of his former self. Uh, he was just this big guy who could barely run the court, was injured all the time, and uh, was a broken down version of something, someone who was a lot more athletic at that time. But even Arvidas Sabonis, uh, and you see a little bit of it with uh, uh, Domas Sabonis, there is, there is not the same Jokic thing. Jokic is his own thing. Jokic ha- has exploiting something that the NBA... Uh, had been missing for a long, long time, and that is a back-to-the-basket center who can back you down, but 
can also pass at an elite level. And those two things right there in combination, uh, I think, have have caused a bit of a crisis within the NBA. The NBA had spent all this time eliminating the center position. They have went through a, I mean, okay, eliminating the traditional center, I should say that. Not the position, but eliminating the traditional center. And Jokic is actually, in some ways, more traditional than Joel Embiid, because Embiid is does a lot of flopping and foul baiting. Let's be honest; he's a great player, but he but he does that deliberately to draw attention to the fouls. Jokic, on the other hand, is very much more like Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal never—I don't ever think I ever saw Shaquille O'Neal flop. Now Jokic has done that a couple times, but the the most of the fouling that happens on Nikola Jokic is because he legitimately gets fouled. The problem is we are no longer in the uh, calling fouls on centers era unless you are a face-the-basket center. So it is a lot easier for a ref to call a foul uh, for someone like Joel Embiid because, A, he emphasizes it, and, B, it is, it is easier because he draws attention to it and he's facing the basket. It's a lot easier to uh, call a foul on someone standing 15 feet uh, from the basket who is raking through on a shot because it, you can obviously, and with all the spacing, you can obviously see the uh, the foul, quote-unquote, or the attempt at drawing the foul or the accentuation and all of that. It's easier to see it. Jokic is not a face-the-basket guy. He's a back-to-the-basket guy, and he passes a lot. And NBA refs are human. And NBA refs, I have noticed the last two years particularly, are trained to not look for that. Okay, so last night Jokic is backing in on uh, uh, Nikola Vucevic. And Vucevic fouls him as he's going up for a layup. And he clearly breaks him across the, uh, the, the arm. Uh, it was a pretty obvious foul. I mean, it, it, it just wasn't called. The NBA, the guy, um, the ref who ended up throwing him out of the game, was looking right at him. He, he just was looking right at him. And you can tell that he just didn't recognize that it was a foul. Big men in the NBA get beat up more than any position in the league. Guards don't get beat up. Forwards don't get beat up. It is 100% the last bastion of fouling in the NBA is with the center. So what happens is these guys don't get attention to it. They don't, I, I can tell you folks, these NBA refs are not paying attention to people fouling Nikola Jokic. It happens in front of them. They can see it. They're not paying attention to it. It's not something that enters their mind. Due to the rules and the benefit of the doubt going entirely to guards at this point in the NBA, the NBA, um, the NBA refs, are not used to a back-to-the-basket center getting fouled. They think that it's just something that that happens because it's contact and the guy's being physical. So there's no benefit of the doubt given to Nikola Jokic. None. He doesn't get these calls. And it's not personal. People need to stop going to that. Other than Tony Brothers, which I've I've always said that is, is a different thing. It is not a personal thing. 
It is, it is a level of paying attention and, and incompetence due to the fact that the NBA rules are, are tilted so far in the favor of perimeter players that NBA refs who are in the league now have no consciousness of looking for it. It is rank incompetence. And the NBA is going to need to change a couple things in order for this to not continue happening in the league. Now, part two of this is that something, my frustration with head coach Michael Malone and his lack of uh, willingness to get fined. Um, it is very clear last night was such an opening for him to talk about, uh, rather than jovially talking about things that are said at the dinner table, this was his opportunity to make a fucking point, not to be too crude about it. Um, one of the best things, I um, mean, Phil Jackson, you know, he's a controversial subject right now because of his recent comments after he's retired and, and while he was an executive. But Phil Jackson, one of the, the two best things he did was manage egos, well, three, manage egos, put in the triangle for the teams he was coaching, and uh, do the um, and be able to manipulate and manage publicly NBA refs. And Michael Malone, actually, the Nuggets play a lot of triangles. So shh, don't tell anyone. Um, but Michael Malone's reluctance to be fined has really reached the point where it's it's getting absurd. And obviously, it's not my money. Um, but sometimes it's worth it. And I think that his reluctance to be fined is now starting to work counter to Nikola Jokic. Uh, Phil Jackson was really, really good at manipulating and getting refs to see what he wants to see. Steve Kerr is like that even now. Steve Kerr learned that from Phil Jackson. Um, Greg Popovich is not as good at it. He's too surly. You need to have the the verbal uh, caginess of of uh, of Steve Kerr and Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson, you know, wasn't certainly he was condescending, but he did it in a, such a way that NBA refs would be forced to pay attention to it. He was not afraid to stand up there and stand up and get in the way of of people who want to do certain. Basically, what he wanted, he he would always make sure to make a point, even if it came with him being fined. And that part is something that Michael Malone has fundamentally shied away from. Uh, he will get occasionally thrown out of the game, but nine times out of ten. Malone will avoid the fine post game. And this is where this comes into fruition. This is part of being an NBA coach. You need to be able to manipulate uh, the public discourse. And the person who talks the most on a team is the head coach. Michael Malone needs to be willing to get fined in order to make a point that everyone can see right in front of their faces is that Nikola Jokic is refed uh, almost impossibly by NBA refs. They don't see things. Malone can call attention to things they see. The behind-the-scenes whining from teams never works. Okay, um, I can tell you for a fact that the Nuggets have sent countless tapes to the NBA about things that have happened to Nikola Jokic and other players. 
at a certain point, the NBA just stops paying attention because it doesn't, it does, it just doesn't reach its mark. The way you call attention to it is to publicly say something and incur a fine if it's, if that's where it goes. You, and Michael Malone will never go there. You never hear it. You never see it. He won't criticize refs in a way that draws attention to the scenario. He will, you know, for a guy who is not passive-aggressive, he will be very passive-aggressive post-game. For a guy who has mastered a lot of other ends of coaching, this is one where he refuses, flat refuses, to play the NBA game. And that part is something that he is going to have to change. Michael Malone is going to have to get up there, say something that everyone in the who's you're on Twitter, you are watching and you're following on Denver Stiff's comment section, or you're just sitting there at home and not plugged into any anything online. Everyone sees the same thing. Nikola Jokic is getting fouled repeatedly, and 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 NBA refs are not consciously aware of what they're doing. They are, they are trained to look at contact for guards and they are trained to let contact on centers go to our back to the basket centers. No, short of Nikola Jokic fundamentally changing his game and becoming an Embiid-like front face the basket player who shoots a lot of perimeter shots and draws a lot of fouls by raking, um, short of that, the, the Michael Malone needs to be hammering, uh, maybe repeatedly, what the NBA, NBA refs are missing. And he has struggled so mightily in willing, being, being willing to incur the fine that gets the point across. And sometimes you just need to do it. And like I said, it's not my money. It is not my money. It's all well and good for me to say you need to get fined. Obviously, this is a big um, financial commitment to this. But I think in the grand scheme of things, you just symbolically and to make a point to the league publicly, you have to point out that NBA refs are not consciously looking for any fouling on a back-to-the-basket guy. And once again, people, this is not personal. The NBA refs do not have, other than Tony Brothers, do not have a personal thing against Nikola Jokic. We need to move away from this. This is 23 years of the NBA's uh, very, very deliberate decision to move away from a certain kind of center that has prevented uh, what I would say is even adequate refing of Nikola Jokic. They, they just can't do it. The NBA brought this on themselves, and it's up to the NBA to be drawn attention to this. They need to have this attention drawn to them. This is not about Nikola Jokic getting disrespected. This is about NBA refs being incompetent. And the quicker we realize this, and the quicker that the Nuggets go from the personal angle to uh, to understanding that the NBA refs just are not seeing shit, the quicker we'll be able to get a solution for this. Because the NBA altered their rules in 20, 2001. They, they fundamentally changed their rules to make sure that Shaq was not as dominant as he used to be. And since then, there has been a cascading scenario of circumstances that has fundamentally hurt 
players like Nikola Jokic. I, I've always said that um, Nikola Jokic is Phil Jackson's dream player. Absolute dream player. And there is no player in the, you know, on, the, on the earth that, that Phil Jackson would like more than Nikola Jokic because he is a smart, back-to-the-basket, passing guy who can run an offense in, 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 a, in a beautiful way. And the NBA refs have taken it upon themselves not taking it upon themselves, but they have they have struggled with looking at Nikola Jokic and seeing what is happening to him. They see the scratches on the arm, but they think this is just physical play. Centers centers are allowed to beat up on centers. You just can't touch the guard. And this part is what has is is struggling. And the NBA needs to change its rules, and that's something we can get into in future episodes. But as far as what's going on right now, Michael Malone head coach of your Denver Nuggets, needs to get out there and understand what is happening and understands that he needs to get fined for his players. Now, their retort from him would probably be, well, what, it's not your your money. Why don't you get fined and something like that? I get that. I am not the one whose uh, financial stakes are on the line, but sometimes it's, you should do it for the greater good. And I think it's about time that Malone steps out there and is more forcefully protecting his players. All right, thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast. I'll be back soon with another episode. Goodbye.